Okay, if you'd please stand for the gospel lesson. Today's comes from Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away and turn into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of our Lord. So today we're going to conclude our fall sermon series that we uh, titled Welcome, Worship, and Witness. This was a sermon series designed to sort of set the stage, if you will, uh, orient us as this newly merged together congregation of three uh, into one to set the way forward um, for what we want to be as a worshiping, welcoming, witnessing community of faith. And today we're going to conclude the last sermon in this series on the topic of witness with uh, the gospel lesson that we read earlier from Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let you in on something, a little confession time. I've already preached this sermon before. And I was banking on that those of you from Park Slope and those of you from Sheepshead Bay, you wouldn't remember that I already preached this sermon before. And those from you from Clinton Hill, well, you've never heard it before. So probably only maybe, maybe a smidgen of you would ever remember that I've preached this sermon before. And then lo and behold, during the passing of the peace, G said, you know what? I was thinking this week when we were in formation group that uh, on the passage coming up in the sermon text, and I just remembered that that was one of my favorite sermons that you've ever preached. (laughs) Do you have them recorded anywhere? I was like, yeah, they are recorded somewhere, but guess what? You're about to hear it again. So I'm banking on, unless you're a fangirl, 
like G is, of my sermons, thank you, G, then you don't remember this. And uh, we're going to preach it again because you know what? I like this sermon too. It's pretty good. And it starts with a story that I like to tell. You might have heard it before, uh, but I'm going to tell this story again. There's a famous pastor over in Manhattan. He tells the same stories all the times too. And most of them are from the Lord of the Rings and you like his sermon. So I'll, I'll risk telling the, uh, the same story again to you as well. Back in 2013 in the summer, I think it was July maybe, uh, my parents took my family me, Jesse, Georgia, Evan, and Claire on a cruise. Uh, now, a cruise is not a vacation that I would ever pick. It's just it's not, not my bag, not my deal. But I wasn't paying for it, and they wanted to pay for it, and they really wanted us to go. So uh, we were going to go on a seven-day cruise with my parents. And so they were going to come up here to uh, New York, and we were going to uh, cruise out of Manhattan. Uh, so this was summer of 2013. Uh, back then, I was full-on pastor of disaster doing Hurricane Sandy recovery, using volunteer labor uh, to, to rebuild houses down in the Brooklyn, South Brooklyn coast. And I had, uh, that summer, one full-time employee who worked for me, and we had a summer intern. And they actually were living with us in our three-bedroom apartment in Windsor Terrace uh, that summer. So before we left, uh, Jesse sat down with them and said, look... Eat everything in the fridge, everything in the pantry. Make yourselves at home. Have a great week while we're gone. Enjoy yourselves. I know you're going to be working hard. I just ask one thing. I will not come home to a filthy apartment. So before we get back, you must clean this apartment. You must do all your laundry. You must wash all the dishes. You must sweep and mop and vacuum and clean everything I, listen, do whatever you want while I'm gone, but I will not come back to a dirty apartment. They were like, yes, Jesse, of course, Jesse, yes, 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 of course. And as I was leaving, one of them said to me, he's like, so when do you think you'll be back? And I was like, I, you know, I think we, we leave, I don't know, it's like a Sunday to Sunday or Saturday to Sunday, I don't remember, but we get back on a Sunday. I was like, I mean, I think we get back into Manhattan Sunday morning, but I figure, you know, we'll hang out a while, we'll go have lunch, we'll play the games and swim in the pool and do the slides or whatever one more time. So I, I guess Sunday afternoon sometime, he was like, okay, cool. I was like, all right. And off we went. And you know, if you've ever been on a cruise, like you get out there in, in the middle of the ocean and unless you pay for, you know, the premium Wi-Fi package or whatever, like you don't have any cell service, like you, you can't, your phone doesn't work, can't really get in touch with anybody. And so we go on the cruise and have an okay time, I would say. Um, and uh, we get back, and we're cruising in Sunday morning, and uh, we're, we're going to get back into the harbor and there on the west side of Manhattan pretty early, like around 8 a.m. And uh, I was mistaken about uh, what your last day on the ship is like. You know, when you get on the ship, when you get on the cruise, it's all, what can we do for you? And everyone's at your beck and call. They want to make sure you have everything you want and need and could possibly hope and dream for. And everything is about you, you, you. But when you get back into that port, it is get off now. It's over. Like, there's no hanging around. There's no going to breakfast or lunch or going down the slide one more time. It's like, we have paying customers who want to get on now, and you're done. Get off in a hurry. And I mean, they like heard you out as fast as possible. And before I knew it, I'm standing on the curb on the west side of Manhattan with my family and our luggage. And I'm like, well, I guess that's over. So I call a car and to come pick us up and take us back home to Windsor Terrace. 
And we get in the car, and we're headed towards the battery tunnel, and I get on the phone, and I, I call one of the boys at the house. And, of course, you know, phone rings, and they don't pick up. And I leave a message, and I was like, well, uh, cruise is over. We're on our way home. Um, hope everything's good. See you in about 30 minutes. We pull on to Sealy Street, where we live, and as, you, as we're coming up the block, like, you can already, like, kind of sense that something is not right. We lived on a, a second floor outdoor walk up, and so we had like a balcony porch that went the length of our apartment in the front. And you can just kind of see like, there's stuff on our porch. What is that? And we, as we get close and we pull up out front, I mean, what it is, is it looks like a literal frat party happened on our front porch. I mean, like red cups all over the lawn kind of stuff. There were red Dixie cups all over the porch. There were half-eaten bags of tortilla chips and half-empty bowls of salsa and handles of certain adult beverages empty all over the front porch. And Jesse says, you have got to be joking. And I look and I go, it is a joke. This is so outrageous. This is so over the top. There is no shot these boys left this mess on the front porch. They are pranking you, Jesse. This is staged. This is staged. They're just yanking their chain. They're trying to get your goat. Like they set this whole thing up just to mess with you. That's how so over the top it was. I'm like, I am certain this is a prank. This is not for real. And she just looked at me like, seriously, you really believe that? I'm like, yes, yes. Like this is a joke. So Georgia, she had to go to the bathroom really bad. So... We get pull up, open the door, she sprints out, sprints up the steps, goes into the apartment because she's got to the restroom. I'm getting out, I'm getting the bags out of the car, setting them on the curb, and all of a sudden Georgia is right there. She's back. And I'm like, did you go to the bathroom already? She's like, Dad, why is Sashi asleep on our couch? Sashi was our upstairs neighbor. He lived on the third floor above us. And so Jesse looks at me and I look at her and I'm like, not a joke? And we come inside, and I mean, like, you can tell right away, the smell just knocks you in the face as soon as you walk through the door. I mean, this is July. These boys have been mucking out, gutting out houses, doing mold remediation, hanging drywall, subflooring, like, and it's July. It's hot, it's sweaty, it smells like the worst men's locker room you've ever had the misfortune of ever being in in your life. There's a leaning tower of pizza, dirty dishes in the sink and on the counter next to the sink, everything is filthy and grimy, it stinks to high heaven. And sure enough, there's Sashi, my neighbor, on the couch, asleep. And I like walk up and kind of like, look over him, and he cracks an eye open, and he goes, hey, neighbor. That's what Sashi always said to you whenever you saw him. Hey, neighbor. I'm like, hey, Sash, it's probably time to go home now, bud. You don't want to be here with what's about to go down. And so he, he rolls off the couch. I was like, by the way, you left your computer on the porch. You might want to grab that. Um, and he, he leaves and goes upstairs, and Jesse just sort of stands there. She surveys all the damage and then she stomps to the back of the apartment, flings the door open to the room the boys were in, get your blankety blank, blank, blah, blank, 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 rear ends, I'll say, out of this bed right now, and you clean this apartment right now. And they're like, oh, 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 oh what, what's happening, whatever. And she walks back out and she's like, I'm gonna change and I'm gonna go for a run because if I stay here, I'm gonna murder them. And I'm just like, babe, 
you run. You run as far and as long as you need to run. And I will take care of this. So the boys get out of bed and they start cleaning. And I put Georgia and Evan and Claire in our bedroom, put a cartoon on or whatever. And then I just sit there like this. And I mean, I don't lift a finger. I'm just like, nope, nope, that's not good enough. That is not going to cut it. You better clean that more than that. Uh, now nah, you got to try a little harder. You're going to have to, you know, they get done. And then I'm like, all right, gather all your nasty laundry. Get all of it. Gather it up because we're going to the laundromat. Jesse comes back kind of silently pass each other on the way out the door. We put all their dirty clothes in the van, and we drive down to the laundromat down the street. They get their clothes going. Laundry's in the machine running, and they're just standing there with their tails between their legs. And one of them says to me, Brian, I swear, we were going to clean the apartment. We were. I, I mean, we would have never done this. But, but you said you wouldn't be back home until this afternoon, and... We just, we just didn't expect you to come back. And I said, well, you know not when the master of the house shall return. And she is back. <laughs> so Matthew 25 has these three parables from Jesus. You have the ten virgins, uh, the parable of the talents, and then you have the one we read today about the sheep and the goats. And they all share... This common structure, which is appropriate for closing out uh, this sermon series that we've done on welcome, worship, and witness. It's also appropriate uh, for Christ the King Sunday, which is today, which closes out Pentecost and prepares us for the beginning of Advent next Sunday, as Jameson said earlier. And this common structure of Matthew 25 is this. The king is going away. Okay? The king is going away. And of course... The king is Jesus. And while he's away, he leaves instructions for what he wants done while he is away. I'm leaving. Here's what I want you to do. And then thirdly, he's coming back. And when he returns, there will be a reckoning. Just like that day of reckoning for those two boys. There is a reckoning of what his creatures did while he was away. So the first thing that I want to think about is this of this structure is that the king goes away. One of the hardest things about the Christian life is the seeming absence of God. The seeming absence of God. And this is not new to God's people. The Psalms are full of prayers crying out, wondering, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Jesus tells his disciples multiple times, if you read the gospel accounts, that he is going away, and they freak out. What do you mean you're going away? You can't leave. You can't go away, but this is what he promises them is going to happen. One of the most common experiences that comes up in pastoral counseling when I sit down with folks is this struggle with where is God? Where is he? We struggle to know where God is. Where can I find him? Do I find him in prayer? Do I find him in worship? Do I find him in the church? And of course, the answer to all of those is yes. But you may be surprised by this passage today that one of the most physical, tangible places that we find God is in the presence of the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the imprisoned. In this passage, Jesus makes this amazing claim 
It's really quite profound that whenever the hungry are fed, whenever the thirsty are given something to drink, whenever a stranger is welcomed, whenever the naked is clothed, whenever the sick or the imprisoned is paid a visit, that that is the same thing. It is equal to doing it unto Jesus himself. And this is not new. If you read the Bible, you find that the plight of the poor and the oppressed is one of the closest things to God's heart. To use the song lyric, there is nothing louder to God's ears than the poor man's sorrow. Now, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever noticed that when you are in the presence of the poor, you yourself often experience God's presence in them and through them in tangible ways that you don't often sense or know in other contexts? I've certainly experienced this. We helped a lot of poor people during those days, those three years of Sandy recovery. I've taken trips to Ethiopia, which is one of the poorest most destitute places I've ever seen in my life in Addis, Ethiopia, the same in Trujillo, Peru. And time and time again, the folks that I met there, their faith and their trust in Jesus is so powerful that it just puts mine to shame. And I have so much more wealth and so much more things and so much more comfort than they do. And yet, Time and time again, it is in those people who have suffered much or who are the most marginalized in society that Jesus just exudes from their body like a perfume. Have you ever seen that or known that? And it's because of passages like this that we know why. Jesus identifies intimately with the poor and the needy. Just think about who Jesus spent his time with outside of the disciples who we're no superstars in and of themselves. Jesus spends time with the weak and the sick and the outcasts and the rejects and the marginalized. So do you miss God's presence? Do you wonder where he might be found? Perhaps you consider going to the poor, serving them, being with them, being present with them. You may find that's exactly where Jesus is to be found. So if the first theme of these, these parables in Matthew 25 is that the king goes away, the second, as I said, is that the king gives instructions to his people for what he wants done while he is away. Feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the sick, and the imprisoned. You know, we so often wonder, how, how is God going to use me? The first question is, where is God? Second is, what does God want to do with me? How is he going to use me? How will he use my gifts and my talents and his kingdom? How can I know that I am doing exactly what God wants me to do? And there are all kinds of ways to answer that question, just as there are all kinds of ways that God does and will use you and your specific gifts and your vocation. But I can assure you that God most definitely wants to use you to love on and minister to the poor and the foreigner and the sick and the oppressed. You know, it's a common question for Christians to ask one another. What do you think? What do you think God is calling you to do? Or what do, what do you think God is calling me to do? And for many of us, we actually fret over that question a lot. I know you do. I've done the same thing. What is God calling me to do? What is God calling this church 
to do? What if we get it wrong? What if we miss it? How can we know what the almighty God of the universe wants us to be about and be doing? Well, I want you to consider this incredible scene in Matthew 25. It says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. If you go and you read the book of Revelation, you know that when it says all his angels with him, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of angels. So there is God sitting on his throne in all his glory on his glorious throne surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of angels. And before him is everyone who has ever lived, who has ever been born. From every nation, every tribe, tongue, and people are gathered in front of him. That's millions upon billions and billions and gazillions of people. So you got God on his glorious throne and all his glory and tens and hundreds of thousands of angels and every person you can ever imagine in the history of the world all gathered in this scene. And he starts saying, some of you over there, some of you over here. And what's the differentiating factor? Between who goes left and who goes right. It's not your bank account. It's not how much money you made. It's not how much celebrity you had. It's not how intelligent you are. It's not how much power you have. It's not how much you changed the world. It's not how super spiritual elite you were, how strong your prayer life was, how correct your theology was. It's not how much influence you had. It's not even how good your evangelism was. Simple acts of compassion. Did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? Welcome the stranger? Visit the sick and those who are in prison. That's it. That scene. And this one important decision. Who's left? Who's right? And that's all that it took. Anyone can do those things. Anyone I want you to think about what Jesus is saying when a stranger comes up to you on the street and asks you for money. And maybe you don't give them money. Because I, I realize that's complicated. I don't often give people money either. But maybe you go around the corner and you buy them something to eat down the street somewhere. When you have done that, Jesus says, you just did that to me. And it's those simple acts of compassion that when you stand there on the day of final reckoning, he says to you, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Friends, this is really not a surprise because even the foulest, roughest, scariest guy you have ever seen on the subway, the kind of dude that everyone is fighting to get off that car at the next stop to get on a different car because they smell so bad, even that man, God deigned worthy to bear his image just the same as you and me. And when that person is not flourishing as God intended, whether by their own fault or by the oppression of others, it doesn't matter, when they are injured, the image of God on them is also injured. 
And because they bear the image of God, if they suffer, then God suffers. You see, friends, beneath all the social misery in the world is the suffering of God. Therefore, to pursue justice and mercy on behalf of those who are suffering is to actually relieve God's own suffering. Think about that. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And if you believe that, if you believe that's what's happening, that when you relieve the suffering of a man or woman created in the image of God in this world, that you are actually participating in relieving God's actual suffering in the world, then you say, well, of course we want to be a part of that. Of course we want to be about that. Of course that's the kind of life that we want to describe us as a community of Resurrection Brooklyn. That's a no-brainer. We want to be a part of that. But friends, if that doesn't motivate you, if that doesn't answer your question, what should we be doing in terms of our mission as a church? What should our witness in this world, in this city, in this community look like? Then I hope the verses of verse uh, 41 through 43 will. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. The king goes away. He leaves instructions. And then there is a reckoning when he returns. Listen, I don't want to hear those words said to me on that day of reckoning. And I know that you don't either. So friends, we know three things about Jesus' return. Okay? Three things. One, we know he's coming back. Two, we have no idea when that'll be. Not exactly. All predictions are baloney and a waste of time. Right? He's coming back. We don't know exactly when, but third, whenever he does, we want to be about the Father's business when he returns. And this passage cannot impress upon us enough that our witness as a welcoming, worshiping community of Jesus must be one that runs towards the brokenness and the misery of our neighbors, not away from it. Because we follow a king who came into this mess, who cared enough about injustice and poverty and oppression that he emptied himself of all that glory, rightfully his, born of a family so poor they couldn't afford a nice place to stay when he was born, a stranger in his own hometown, rejected by the folks he grew up with, knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty and have no place to lay his head, who was imprisoned for crimes that he did not commit, who hung naked on a cross while his executioners auctioned off the few clothes that he had. You see, Jesus looks upon you and he doesn't see your bank account. He doesn't see your curated Instagram account. He sees a child who is hungry, thirsty, naked, alone, sick, and in bondage, and he runs towards you. That's why we serve the poor. Not to earn God's favor, 
But because we know that's exactly how our king loves each and every one of us, and our king is coming back. He will return to finish what he started and make all things new. So our witness, as titled today, in word and in deed, is the worship of the king who welcomes the hungry, who welcomes the thirsty, who welcomes the stranger, who clothes the naked and the sick and visits the imprisoned. And that is who we pray we will be as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.